0: This is the Men's Room Podcast, where relief is your duty and your innate self is welcome. I'm your host as always, Ish Mendoza, and I'm honored you stopped by. On today's episode, we have a really good conversation with Mr. Ryan Kenny, former professional athlete turned pastor, and in a lot of ways, social justice advocate, um, who is fighting the good fight for um, for a lot of causes here in Fresno locally. Um, we get into conversations about consumption and capitalism and disruption and spirituality at length. And I'm really glad to have had a, a really good conversation with Ryan to uh, to get his thoughts and to pick his brain a little bit. And if you're not already doing so, please don't forget to like, share, subscribe, get the word out. really want this thing to grow and uh, I really want to share this to people like you. So thanks for supporting. Thanks for taking the time to uh, check this episode out. If you haven't already done so, check out our previous episodes as well. We've had some really great conversations, and without further ado, let's get into it. start off is i kind of try to get beyond the typical introductions when you meet somebody for the first time you know you say hi you know i'm ryan Mm -hmm. um but i want to dig into a little bit more of who you are so think characteristics of who you are um where you stand in relationships you know father husband etc
1: um
0: but who is ryan kenny in a um in a in a nutshell
1: yeah so 36 um Caitlin and I have been married for 12 years uh, this February and <clears throat> two girls, 3 and 4, Emery and Josie, 4 and 3, and live here in Fresno and pastor a church.
0: All right. So that's who you are from the from the like the surface level. Yep. Who are you who who are you characteristically? What what do you say about yourself makes up, you know, some of the things that Strengths and weaknesses. Maybe you'll get a little vulnerable with with the weaknesses part. Yeah. You don't have to, but...
1: I feel like, unfortunately, (laughs) I I had to fill out a thing, actually, this last week that I had to write down my weaknesses. So, I get it. Um, Yeah, I I think I'm learning about myself in my wise 36 years. Uh, I'm much more, like, contemplative and reflective than I ever thought. So, I have... uh, Definitely a little bit of that, like that ambivert. I I love people. So when I'm in a room with people, I find energy in it. It does not drain me. If it's 10 PM and I show up to something, I'm all of a sudden awake till 4 AM like that. I get filled up by it. So I always thought that I was just like an extroverted kind of type a can walk into a room and sometimes the need to even like bring an energy. And it's taken me quite a while to learn that I, actually like need contemplative spaces where I am a little bit quieter. I'm, a, I'm actually a slower processor than I actually thought for a long time. Cause I know the whole introvert extrovert is a lot of like the, the way the rate at which we can process things. So I think I'm, I'm contemplative and reflective more than I ever thought. I I'm one for some consistency in life, but I do need to be putting most of my time towards something that has changed to it at a, at a decent rate if I'm doing the same thing day in, day out, week in, week out, I will dry up. If there's zero consistency and only change, um, that doesn't have any type of, uh, I guess structure to it, then I think it just gets a little bit too loose for me. So I, I appreciate those spaces, um, and anything that is towards or with people I enjoy doing, um, The work that I do, that I put my hand to, the things where I'm spending most of my time, the ways in which probably I look through a lot of our life decisions um, is just towards and for other people. Um, Of course, I have plenty of selfish ways and decisions along the way. But um, yeah, I get life from that stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's it's largely... I don't want to get super like James Lipton into the actor's studio. Have you ever seen seen that?
1: No, I'm into it, though. I, I like <laughs> he, it.
0: He's a, like a... I don't know what his accolades are, but he's essentially like... He, he has these reputable actors and stuff, and he kind of gets to the depths of who mm. they are. And so he'll ask like some poignant questions that kind of get the juices flowing typically for them, um, one of which is like... Um, what uh, what word do you hate? What word do you like? Like little little weird things like that too. Okay. Um, I don't intend to be a James Lipton type uh interviewer, but um, you know, I'm I'm curious about like you know, you you, you talked about like having deriving energy and things like that, mm-hmm. and kind of, I mean, even um for you, occupationally, mm-hmm. people is is where you, where you live, you mm-hmm. know, from a, from a vocational standpoint, from a, from a career standpoint, um, I'm curious if that was discovered at sort of like an early age, or is that something that you still are learning about?
1: Yeah, uh, probably still learning more so than discovered at an early age. Um, I didn't name my weaknesses, not because I, <laughs> I can't, um, but just, going back to that a tad and then to to move forward into some of that. Yeah. I think for me, the people aspect has grown a lot out of realizing that most of my life was lived entirely for myself. Um, One of my so-called weaknesses is I, an incessant need to like achieve and, and create as a place in which I can find my own meaning and purpose. Um, So therefore if I'm not achieving or creating, then I don't have meaning or purpose. So my sense of value and worth can also oftentimes be derived by what I can uh, produce or do. And that I think was a shift for me, though it was also an invitation towards people. So I I learned in, this was, uh, this is about eight years ago now. um, I was in business and this was after some athletics going into business. And I, got invited on to like a church planning team and I never thought about it this way. I thought that, you know, in church, I, I just had to be like a nice person that just served others. Like that was like the definition of some kind of ministry role or church leadership or something like that, which part of that's true. And There was a a pastor on this team that started to identify some of the gifts that I had and could actually use on a team and within a church that were connected to business and some of the um, organizational capabilities and some of my other backgrounds, some team and athletic dynamics, just certain things like that. It actually started to expand my view of what it looks like to have things in our lives that can benefit other people. And so that actually became the shift in which I started to become more and more attracted to um, ministry and then specifically church ministry and some ways in which I think I fell in love with the church uh, and how beautiful it is yet how broken it is at the same time. Um, Yeah. So that, that was my movement, I think more and more towards people.
0: Yeah, it's I want to dig into to kind of the pathway that you um you took to get to that point, but I, I want to talk a little bit more about so it's interesting because being in in sort of a leadership position um and especially having come from a background I am I'm, I'm similar in that way, like I'm very very uh driven by competition, mm-hmm. by metrics and data and um and that that works well in athletics, that works well in in the world of business. Mm-hmm. You can quantify these things. Mhm. But when you're dealing with like relational, um, church planting and building in that way, you can't really rely on numbers and figures for the most part. So is there anything that you can say, um, that makes you feel successful or, or what do you strive toward in the, in in that way?
1: Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I, I think it's, it's probably constantly evolving, um, yeah, there's definitely ways in which we could measure success by numbers and those things. And I think those can be helpful indicators sometimes. Like if zero people are showing up to something, it's probably a good indicator to say, this may not be worth doing, right? Okay. So are people showing up, let's have a measurement of that. Um, But one of the conversations we've been having as a leadership team is changing the scorecard. So oftentimes, uh, you know, churches for the longest time are known to count like butts and seats. So how many people are showing up? How many people are giving? Uh, How many people are, you know, showing up to the serve thing or being on a volunteer team? And again, those are all could be healthy and helpful and healthy indicators of some things. But when they're the only indicator, then we could probably ask the question of, are those the ultimate like measurement of transformation? Well, you can have people show up, more and more people, but there may not be transformation occurring. Um, Or there might be addition of things, but there may not be like multiplication of something. And so we've talked about changing the scorecard. And one of those things has been, can we be a people who just give everything away? Meaning that if we're someone or an organization who is for other people in their life with God and their life with other people, hopefully as church-centric in Christianity is that all people are growing in the awareness that they have influence and responsibility. So are we a church that's helping develop leaders in that sense? Now, leadership development is not the only thing, nor maybe even the primary thing within, I think, church or in ministry, but that's one little thing that we've said this year is, can we actually multiply leadership. So can someone who maybe is coming to faith for the first time or coming to church, what's the invitation for them to grow in influence and responsibility? A couple of very shorthanded words to give a simplistic definition of leadership. I mean, if you kick one of those legs out, you're not leading. Mm -hmm. If you don't have responsibility, you're not leading. If you don't have influence in something, you're not leading. So those are at least two things you need to be leading, I think. Um, so we've started to, can we measure even some of the outwork? So like the community partners that we're a part of, uh, our financial generosity as a church towards other organizations that are doing good work in our community that we're thankful for and or that breaks our heart. Like that's work that we want to move towards. So let's partner with them. Let's get behind the work that they're doing, that God's doing in and through them. So can we measure that? Well, yeah, we can measure that by the amount that we're giving each year or the ways in which we're, we're partnering and showing up to something. Um, so the those are, are helpful ways now where that could get tricky is that we can't always quantify quantify be like define what god is doing in the moment um right so there's things that like you might put your hand to something for two years five years ten years and the results aren't the normal results of what people would define as success but like Things could be happening along the way and it just folds or like it took 10 years and now something happened that other people see that is now quantifiably successful or whatever it is. I remember when I was uh, exploring church planning, someone had asked me, uh, a church planning network and organization, we'd gone to dinner together and they were me some questions and one of the guys said, uh, what's your greatest fear? And in that moment, I can remember that I was in Denver, I was sitting at the table and I just very quickly just said, oh, that's easy, failure. Like it would just rolled off. It was the first thing I thought of and probably thought about the most. You didn't, you didn't say clowns not clowns, spiders? Mine would be sharks. Oh, uh, okay. Sharks is my, my, my greatest fear. Um, and when he asked me that question again, I was so confident in failure and a few things that meant looking back one failure of what, how do you measure failure? Well, for me, and that moment says, the thing that I thought I was set out to do and the way it needed to look, if that did not happen, it would be a failure. Mm. And as I look at it more and more, Midtown as a church, my position as a pastor or a leader, it, that could blow over tomorrow. Um, was it a failure? Well, how do you measure it? Like I, There have been amazing stories that have happened in almost a four-year time frame now that if we're gonna call that a failure, then we're calling like the, the small and the big movements of people's lives, of change happening and good things happening and the things to celebrate, we're just saying that's all for not because whatever we were trying to measure didn't happen. Right. Um, so anyways, like, and, and maybe it's like, oh, well, the church plant should own a building and you should get to 500 people, like all these we measure all that and it could mean nothing. So I look back on that, I'm like, I don't think any of it's actually a failure. Now it could look a lot different It could not go the way that you planned. Um, But how we measure success just started to change so much. And it's changing in me constantly because there are just external pressures and opinions of what something is to be successful. Um, But hopefully along the way and opening up to life with Jesus, that the idea of successful um, or something being a failure is changing more.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the goal for any of us, even personally, you know, Mm -hmm. to, to, to be able to see, um, even, even the sensation of change in your life, you know, as you know, you know, for me having gone through, um, a near death experience with the heart attack that I had, um, to, to be on the opposing or the, 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 the other side of things, it has a, a way of like retroactively looking at, at maybe some failures that I was doing from a, from a health standpoint, from a, um, just a lifestyle standpoint and looking back to see, um, maybe what what priorities were and things like that too. I almost, in a way, I almost feel like sometimes it's a, it's still, it's hard to, to like put it in, into the words, but I, I feel like it's a, it's a selfish way of looking at life mm. for me. I'll say this personally, I won't, I won't speak for, for everybody, but the, my perception of that is that like i can I can go back and see that I was living very selfishly um just kind of like in my own ways of eating and drinking and, and doing everything that that i that I wanted to do um without without the without the worry of a consequence that came mm-hmm. as a mm-hmm. result mm-hmm. and so now having gone through that, I'm very more like more, more way much more mindful of of kind of going through that i'm gonna I'm going to ask you kind of from, from a pastoral perspective, mm-hmm. some potential hot button topics. Mm-hmm. Um, so at, w- at whatever capacity you feel you want to, you want to talk about it, we can even pause and say, nope, let's skip that one <laughs> uh, if you want. And it's not too controversial. So it's yeah. just, it's more so, um, I'd, I'd love to see the your perspective on, on some of these things too, but yeah. And these it's it's interesting because I'm just thinking about these questions on the fly. I send you some like preloaded questions to kind of think through, but um mo- most of the time this conversation just flows and it happens yeah um what i found is that like five minutes into the a, po- a podcast typically it, we kind of let down our hair a little bit more, and it's like all the formalities and stuff are aside. you forget the cameras and and everything's there, and uh it becomes more more controversial or conversational I should say um but i'm I'm curious about like from a your pastoral standpoint. Do you think pursuing a um, a position as a pastor is somewhat selfish?
1: Mm.
0: And and I can I can tell you what what I'm why I'm asking that question. I think, again, from from my personal standpoint, I find such fulfillment in um, being able to uh, to see the fruits of my labor and in, mm. in certain things. So for me, for for work, I can see it with the data and metrics that I see. Mm. For a pastor, I would imagine that. The joy that you receive is to see lives changed through other people. Um, can that be a selfish uh, position? Does
1: that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. I, I think anything, I think anything can be done selfishly because we're talking about ego, right? Sure. And so, like, <clears throat> I think there's. Man, I, even like in like day-to-day and week-to-week, pastorally right now, like there's just things that I could choose to do selfishly um, or choose not to do out of selfish ambition. Um, so there's no question that is, could it be done completely selfishly? Uh, it couldn't be done well. Sure. And I, I think things could burn and fall faster if it's done selfishly because in and of itself, um, like many things— like, I mean, it's like, can you parent selfishly? Oh my gosh, all day long. Sure. In the end, like you are like the worst parent if everything is done for you. It's just impossible. You can't marriage. Like, I mean, so many things your friendships, uh, anything. Anyways, pastorally. Yes, I believe it definitely can be done now. I know we have, uh, you know, all the news outlets and the things that cover the big stories, and you know the uh, jets that are purchased and the multi-million-dollar mansions, and of course that's like the whole. It's just like the one percent of like so many things. I was kind.
0: I was kind of alluding to that because yeah,
1: the perception can be skewed maybe by by someone that's uh, not exposed to faith in such a way. Totally. Well, and and I just think like we as people we tend to follow what we're celebrated for. All right. So like, or even encouraged towards like when you're at work and someone says, hey, really good job doing that. Well, guess what? You're probably going to do more of that thing. Mm -hmm. And so what's the marker or what are the ways in which people are being celebrated? And if it continues to be success towards monetary gain and um, the ability to to use anything or anyone at your disposal for your own interest or the things that you want to do, then, yeah, you're going to keep going towards that if it remains unchecked or if that's the measurement that is being encouraged or even celebrated celebrated. Um, oftentimes what I find is that the, the things in which, and it, it, often we don't always know we're doing it selfishly most of the time, probably till after the fact, um, as long as we have some form of good intention along the way, uh, those are usually the things that just don't go well. Hmm. And I can look back and be like, okay, w- was that me? What was that? Was that really for everybody? Was that the thing I was actually in prayer about and asking God to kind of, bring clarity or give insight towards. Um, And oftentimes learn after the fact, no, 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 I think that was actually a little bit of me. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's just life and that's life with God. And we're not always just gonna be able to live completely removed from ourselves and our own thoughts, egos, ambitions, stories we tell ourselves, um, early experiences that we've had that have shaped the way we view the world and the the ways in which we're seeking love and attachment and wholeness. Uh, There's all that stuff mixed into there. but yeah, I, I think uh, depending on where you're at, also, yeah, we have a lot of people that are celebrated for the selfish things that they do, uh, even in pastoral ministry.
0: Yeah, I, I think the the key to that is I don't know if, I I don't think it could be done well if you go from a from a, a perspective or, or a, an intent to be selfish mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the other controversial thing that that I was that I was thinking about is, you know, the, a lot of what you're saying, and I'm 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 thinking of the lens in in the lens of you know i'm i i grew up 90% of my life in as a christian and um that's just like time wise um timeline you know um in terms of like how how i've lived as a child going growing up in church and things like that too so i'm accustomed to kind of know the the christian culture mm-hmm. and um so I, I, i'm you know, I, I'm I'm exposed to it in, in, in mass amounts of quantities and things like that that have been that have historically gone through, but um I'm I always try to think about the the person that either is new to faith, mm-hmm. um, has no idea of faith, or is a different faith. Mm-hmm. Um and um I there's a there's a, a a crazy misconception for a lot of things that, like you said, the the media outlets can portray um, Christianity to be, mm. but from your perspective. Um, what, what is, what is the church doing right? And what have we got wrong (laughs) that you've, that you've noticed historically in a lot of ways?
1: Uh, zero, not an expert on any of this by any means. Um, honestly, I think there's more right than wrong. Like if we were to take again, a, uh, maybe a, a non-national media lens, um, and then if we're to remove ourselves from just the West in, in which we live, Um, I think that there is so much good and beautiful, even in the things that are broken and not good in and amidst the church. I think that's still a part of the beauty because it does point to something and someone else. Um, so at no point does the organized, uh, informal or formal church, is that ever supposed to be everything? Um, we know that, In this time, that the the church is to be something that does point to what things will look like in the end, Um, but we're not going to be able to fully achieve that without the fullness of God's kingdom being expressed. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think right now, specifically the West and where we're at culturally, is a very revealing time that much will come from. And what it, part of what it's showing is that there has been a Christianity and a uh, common way the church operate operated in the West that is not working anymore. Um, worked for a period of time. It, it worked for a long time when like your boss went to the same church you did and he would know if you went to church or not. And then he would ask you in the office if you did or not, you know, and it was like, oh yeah, I just, we have this cultural Christianity thing. Um, and we're learning a lot more of what that stood on and, and what it didn't. But I think the brokenness in the gathered body is part of the beauty of the church. And what the church offers is a space um, to press into and not necessarily choose the relationships you enter into Um, it actually disrupts our selfish and uh, self-centered lives that we tend to live, especially in the West, when we're sold every day through billions of dollars of advertisement throughout the year that everything revolves around me Hmm. and us. And the church disrupts that, hopefully, when it's, you know, it can. It can also feed that. And that's maybe something we get wrong a lot is that it can become attractional just in the sense of it wants to affirm what you're already thinking. It, it wants to help you prosper in what you're already doing. Um, but really, Jesus like disrupts everything. And we see that in the scriptures. Um, uh, the early church was a complete disruptor of things and maybe the the normalcy that we we seek, especially in this day and age of comfort um, in, in the ways in which life can revolve around us. So I think at its best... Um, there's a lot of ways in which the church even currently uh, is disrupting and it's being disrupted at the same time. And I think much good will come from that. The The moments in which I think we're seeing maybe less of, um, well, I think experiential also, like if you do look around where church growth is happening, um, not even just in the West, but around the world, it, it is oftentimes in ways in which there's experience happening. So there's something, um, to use the term uh, charismatic or charismata, there's expressions of things happening that it appears that something miraculous, something magical, something beyond the natural is happening um, in everyday life. And people are actually having these larger experiences that point towards God. And I think the more that we can Churches can help us point to something that's beyond ourselves and that's even beyond what we can see. Now, that's hard when, again, we're an individualistic culture um, where we're a materialistic culture. The thing in front of us right now is what's most real. The thing that I can see, touch, talk to, that's what's most real right now. Um, And then a consumeristic culture where at any moment the thing I'm most longing for can be met by what I can consume in front of me. Uh, however fast I can get it, and that's what's going to fulfill whatever the longing is or sensation or the need that I have. The, The ways in which the church can offer, I guess, transcendence above and beyond that to help us realize that the story of God is beyond ourselves, that we can actually find more meaning and purpose when we move towards other people's lives than just insulate our own, when maybe everything that's in front of us that we're sitting on talking to maybe there's like a whole other reality that might actually be more real than this one, this little blip in time that we live in. Maybe there's something that's actually beyond this and that it actually uh, started before this and will end much after this, what you and I are experiencing now. Um, and that Jesus is quoted uh, and says many times elsewhere that it's better to give than to receive. And so the idea of that we can consume whatever we want, however much of it we want is, um, actually can be counter to the idea that we are meant to actually like give away our lives, our possessions, um, our experiences, just the idea that I'm going to make plans for myself. And I have a five year and a 10 year plan. It's a lot of places in the world that you can't even make plans for tomorrow. You don't know where your next meal is coming from. Right? So I, I think the church at its best is, is intentionally trying to disrupt those things. Um, Towards and with the story, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I see tremendous value in in um in in coming together with like-minded people that are trying to achieve those same goals together. But like, what what I'm sure you've got this question before. Um, but what do you say to people that will say like, you know, I believe in God and I've got a relationship with God, but I don't believe in organized religion. Mm-hmm. What's the value of going to a, a church building on a Sunday?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard because I don't know if you can actually like live out um, a historical Christianity without a community of people that you belong to that is in some ways like minded, also very different than you and challenges the way that you view the world and uh, has different politics than you have and has different ambitions and just everything's different. Um, So the question is, do I want to become more of just myself over time or do I actually want to grow beyond myself? And if it's if the idea that God is real and I believe in him and I ascribe to um, you know the way in which I view scripture without a community of people then we actually are just kind of asking God to agree with what we already see and how our experience have already been formed rather than saying what if it's actually that I can experience more of God through a community of people. Because uh, God does this over and over again inside the script, or throughout the scripture, and Jesus actually points to it, that that for the longest time in the Old Testament, we had a vertical relationship with God. And then one of the things that that Jesus talks about over and over and over again, the way our love is measured, the way our faith is measured, the all these different things actually becomes horizontal. So yeah, our life with God matters, but guess what? like the key way in which that's expressed is your life with other people. Right. And I think the the gathered body in the church is again a way in which can can offer us to to grow beyond ourselves and to experience God and I mean there's so who's hopefully a church is continuing to become diverse in, in a number of ways, uh, because then I become more diverse because then I actually get to view and experience and learn about a God that's different than just my own story. If not, then God is just like a cosmic, like being of myself. And that sucks. <laughs> that's yeah. like not good news. If God is just a bigger me, Um, so I think it depends. Have I arrived at something to ascribe to that helps me feel secure, intelligent, that I have things sorted out or do I actually want to grow and become more like loving and kind and peace filled and joy filled and like grow in like my perseverance and my hope. Um, yeah, I think it's a question to ask if we're just ascribing to a belief in God without the the commitment to a people.
0: Yeah, I mean that's an interesting take and I one I think that we don't um we don't emphasize enough of because you know with with the um with with such a um a, a, a huge gap between um both sides of of a lot of different spectrums mm. that we're seeing. Um most people have the assumption that the church is an echo chamber where we can all come together mm-hmm. and, and hate those that we hate together mm-hmm. or something to that effect as well. And one that I don't think that we emphasize enough of is the hope and the the strive for diversity in that mm-hmm. same way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the things about Midtown that, that um, I found very, very much attractive in, um, yeah, not just uh, um, racially diverse, but econo- socioeconomically and things like that, that I think we should all like, Try to do more of, and and to uh, to to surround ourselves a little bit more in depth mm-hmm. with, because you're right, you know, if we if we if everyone looks like me mm-hmm. around me, mm-hmm. then I'm gonna always probably uh, believe and think the same way.
1: Yeah, just gonna keep being me. And then we have to ask the question: like, is that good? Like, how's that going? Just more of you, you know, and and uh, depending on the day, we'd be like, man, that'd be great if there was more of me, right? But I think for most, we could very quickly, hopefully get to a point to be like, no, 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 but I am so limited and I I have such a narrow experience and worldview. Um, I have such a small understanding of of how I work and how life works and how others work. Um, And then we tend to play God because the other other thing that starts to happen is that if, if, if God agrees with us, and everyone else needs to agree with us going back to that echo chamber thought. Yeah. Right. So like, okay, I ascribe to this thing that doesn't challenge me that I believe in for some, you know, um, eternal life reason, I guess, um, so that I can be saved. And, uh, and then I just don't really ever get saved along the way. Like that doesn't, I don't know. And so then again, now I start to play, God in other people's lives because you need to say it the way I do and you need to operate the way I do and you need to act the way I do because I am God. Um, And I just think we break under that. We can't, we can't be that. And then no one wants to be around us. Like, let's be honest. Like when you're around a controlling person, you find a way to get away from them. Um, When you're around the person that always has the answers, you stop listening to them and then you actually just stop asking them anything because you just don't want to hear it. But what do you do? You most oftentimes move towards people who like ask you questions and listen. I mean, we pay a lot of money to people who ask us questions, therapists, spiritual directors. I mean, you go down the list, right? We pay because it's a commodity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not everyone's great at asking questions and listening or else we wouldn't have to pay for it, <laughs> <would> we, right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, there's an aspect and that's not a, a knock. I think I love therapists. I have one. So um there's just something to that, that if we've arrived, then we just, we stop growing. And then no one wants to be around us. But if we can see it, that everywhere we are is a new way to experience, see, and understand God in a new way, then I think we're actually something to like offer towards other people. And yeah. we're actually a blessing.
0: I got a little nugget of, uh, of something that you can think of. Um, you feel free to use this one in a sermon if you want Please. to. Please. I need, I need more content. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 I always say that, I would be a horrible God. Mm. So I'm glad that I'm not God. Mm-hmm. And, um, but the, 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 the points that you're making about like us almost magnifying God to be versions, bigger versions of ourselves mm-hmm. um, is, is the exact opposite, I think, of what we um, should be trying to do in, in a spiritual, in a, in a walk um, that points us to Christ is that we should be reflections and magnifications of who he is yeah. rather than. The reverse, yeah. you know we don't want God to be the magnification of who we are because we're flawed, we're horrible gods, yeah, you know, um so take that one to the bank if you want to Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. um, I want to talk a little bit about about midtown um and you know the church that you you felt called to uh, to plant in in that way um, more you, you alluded to um something that was very interesting that we're all, we all are called to or we're we were drawn to um, kind of charismatic movements. So, um, let's, let's back up a little bit and talk about the organization vineyard that, uh, Midtown's a part mm-hmm. of and, um, the, the, the way that movement kind of shaped, um, some of your values as well in the church.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And I'll, uh, and I'll clarify one thing. I don't think we're all drawn to charismatic movements. I think people have complete <laughs> disdain for charismatic True. movements also what tends to be growing the most across the world would Fair. be something that has a charismatic expression. And that can mean, you know, a thousand different things. Um, yeah, vineyard movement, uh, movement of churches that started in the early eighties. Um, there's a man by the name of John Wimber who was kind of the catalyst for, it. he actually wasn't the founder, uh, but he had come along with a small vineyard church. And after being a part of Calvary Chapel churches, um, kind of through, uh, his work in ministry and what God was doing uniquely in and through his life. uh, There was just something that happened actually across the world. So um, through his work of pausing, praying, inviting God's spirit to come and to heal people uh, physically, mentally, relationally, emotionally, like this, this actual belief that, that God does care about like every little detail about us, even to the point of, of healing. Now, challenge and something that happens with charismatic movements a lot is that uh, there's a line that says um, people fall in love with the gifts and forget the gift giver. And so now there becomes an obsession with this charismatic experience and, you know, uh, more healing and, and, and more prayer. And, and while we believe in that, we, we still are completely moving. This is for the sake of moving towards God himself, following the life of Jesus. The other thing that can happen um, along the way, I did a couple of these things on the front, is that uh, we we can actually just see our now our Christian life just about trying to see God do something miraculous, then actually like follow the ways of Jesus, and then discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus can actually become maybe an afterthought even, and then we just kind of walk around trying to see the miraculous of God all the time, and again we don't want to throw that out. But primacy is like following Jesus first and foremost. And may that be like a result of us growing in our life and us being transformed first and foremost in a life with Jesus. Um, so those a couple, anyone listening that uh, is thinking through uh, their experience with charismatic movements, um, the vineyard came along and uh, from the beginning, and of course, there's different experiences and expressions. You can go to a different vineyard church around, there's over 600 in the US. You can go to any of them and you're going to experience something a little bit different in a lot of the vineyard churches. It's not just one way of being, which is beautiful. Also, you can walk in one, and be like, "This is great." Walk in another, and be like, "This is weird." Like it is just very different. Um, but a part of it, the hope was to actually take like a Western evangelicalism that um, has been happening for some time now in our country and like a a Pentecostal church movement and kind of like bring those two things together. So how do we stand on this idea that the kingdom of God has broken in as part of why we actually see miracles and see people get healed and things that we can't ever fully explain. And at the same time, we are committed to the scriptures, the life of Jesus, um, to evangelism, to social justice. Like we're, we're holding things to contemplative practices. We're actually trying to hold these streams together in the center. Um, and Vineyard has traditionally been, uh, holding together evangelicalism, Pentecostalism. There's a quote that says, um, with the Bible, the Bible without the spirit will dry up. Hmm. The spirit without the Bible will blow up. The Bible with the spirit will grow up. And so there's this idea that that these two things being held in tension is actually for the greatest benefit of for our discipleship to Jesus. Um, so I've loved Vineyard for a lot of those reasons uh, and just who they are. Um, the leadership right now at a national level, uh, regional levels is uh, continue to be impressed in in so many ways, uh, which is a part of I actually grew up in a Vineyard church. Um, so then when we when we actually look to start planting a church there was just, there was, it was very different from when I grew up to now. Um, and a part of it is because I I started to see the forefront of kind of what they were starting to do going forward and what it looked like and to be relevant in a culture right now, yet holding to traditional practices, um, and believing in a God that does move now and having a high reverence of scripture. Um, and just so many things like wanting to actually like move with our feet towards service and towards social justice. Um, but also to like pause and try and hear God's voice and for God's spirit to actually like transform us from the inside out. I, I can just keep going on about that, but I, I believe in the leadership of where Vineyard's going. Um, and just the friends that I get to do this with along the way. And I continue to grow and learn, um, because of the Vineyard and because of the, the leadership. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm, um, uh So one of the
0: things also that you, so I grew up Pentecostal, you know, strictly very emotionally driven, spirit driven, Pentecostal, um, apostolic to be specific. And, um, it was a little bit, you know, I I went through my, my phases of, you know, being, um, jaded by, by Mm -hmm. my upbringing a little bit. Mm -hmm. Now on this side of things, I have a lot of like, you know, pleasant, uh, memories and, and things that I, that I can hold on Mm -hmm. to have having had that foundation, but there's a, a unique. I think there's a so there's always um, there's two different types of Christian personas that I've noticed. Mm. Um, there are the stoic stoics that never raise their hands in a church and mm. are very much you know liturgical and hold on to like these um, these uh, traditional practices. Yeah. And then there, there are wild and crazy ones that roll on the floor and speak in tongues and yeah. do all these other things. Yeah. And. Um, one of the things about midtown the vineyard uh, midtown in particular is the um is the acceptance i think in a lot of ways spirituality is a pretty trendy thing right now mm. mm-hmm. um psychedelics and all the other stuff that people you know are are turning to to like put themselves in a in a state of spirituality mm-hmm. um and so i do i do hold a lot of like values to i i feel there's a there's a lot of you know, my, my relationship with Jesus goes to my core and there's, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of like spiritual, um, experiences that I've had personally. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'll, I'll never, I'll never be able to deny those personally. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that I, that I really value, um, about Midtown and just kind of the, that, acceptance. But what's your perspective on the state of spirituality, um, mm-hmm. uh, culturally? You know, outside of a uh, traditional Christian view and then how it relates to Christianity as well.
1: Yeah, that's good. Um, and on that, uh, real quick on that last thought too, man, I just love the the variety of church expressions. Yeah. Um, so even like when I talk about Vineyard, kind of trying to hold the center of these things, like I was in a church last week that would be Pentecostal and there is something happening in that room that one, I, I don't, I can't lead. It, it's not of me, but I'm so thankful it's of someone else. And that I get to receive from it and man, I'm stretched every single time. And then there's people who would never express a single emotion in their life. Yet there's some of the most peaceful people I've ever experienced and just have something so deep to offer. So I don't think there's not a corner on the market anywhere. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I I think, well, two things. One, I think there's a recent study done talking about like the, the rise in spirituality here in the West, in, in America. Um, and the other thing that people are talking about is that religion is also up Mm -hmm. and we don't think about it that way because church attendance has declined. Um, but what they're saying is, is religion is a organized sense to transcend our daily life or just our, our lives to experience something beyond, um, looks more like coffee shops and yoga and CrossFit. So it's this idea of organized community to transcend so I can become a part of a different story or a story bigger than my own. Um, so religion's on the rise in, in some senses, and you're gathered around an ecclesiology and something specific and a values and a way of being and the, for the betterment of something. And there's so many things that align there. And then, yeah, spirituality in the sense... Yeah. One of the things I I think about often, so let's take anybody, let's just take your average person that would be a Christian to say, most of them would pray for their dinner Mm -hmm. or they're going to pray for the car trip they're about to go on. Right. God may you provide safe travels for us. Um, God, thank you for this food. Bless the hands that made it. May it nourish our bodies. Amen. Right. What we're doing in that moment, we are, we're, believing that there is a cosmic being outside of time and space that is hearing our words and then doing something of action back towards us for the food to nourish my body, for my car to not get hit by another car while I drive. Like somehow we're asking God's hands to kind of protect us. So if we believe that, then we believe in a spiritual realm. Now, however much you think God's kingdom is breaking in from a charismatic experience or not, like miracles or people getting healed or whatever. One of the things with spirituality is we got to ask the question, well, if we believe in a good spirituality or a good cosmic reality or something that's supernatural, why would there not be like more ways to access that? And or the one thing we don't think about, I think enough, uh, and I tend to more and more believe Paul's words that. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, we're fighting against princi- powers and principalities. Hmm. we're talking about there is this like a supernatural presence of evil of of warfare and again, I'm like I just believe that more and more as I watch people's relationships uh, as I learn more about the inner lives of people uh, as we experience them together um, like there's just there's there's spirituality and access to it in different ways and there's like, if there's good spiritual, there's bad spirituality. Right. So take it however you want. Um, I think people are trying to find a way to get to that by any means possible, because I think we're desperate for it. And I think we're created to be desperate for it. That's the other thing. Like I think anyone going on, A trip in the middle of the woods with a group of people and taking something that, you know, has them hallucinating for 12 hours. Like, man, God's grace in that because I think we are longing for something beyond our own story beyond our own lives. It's the same thing I like think I do when I go to the scriptures. It's the same thing I do when serving people. It's the same thing I do when I step on a Sunday morning into a corporate worship service. Like I'm hoping to be a part of something bigger, to experience something beyond myself that also helps me like make sense of myself and the world around me. Um, so yeah, I think spirituality is on the rise for a very good reason. And then it just depends on the route in which you're trying to take to get there. Um, yeah, and I I believe that Jesus is our greatest way of getting there. Um, but I think there's grace as we're seeking.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that y- y- you're exactly right. You know, there's a, there's such a, um, innate like yearning that we have and, um, and, and people are, are out looking for that, you know, for the answers that, that, you know, the, um, I've never been a, um, I've never been one to shun, um, therapy and you know the the scientific ways that we try to explain these um supernatural things maybe that occur in our lives because i think they go hand in hand you know i even like there there's a lot of those contra um like um conspiracy theories that that explain the the miracles as, er- as it was reported to the bible you know like the the burning mm. bush was you know balls of gas that you know existed but the beauty and all that is that God still used that to speak to Moses and, Mm -hmm. um, he used that these very scientific explained, um, situations Mm -hmm. to like empower and equip someone in such a way. So how beautiful is that? You know? Yep. And, um, and so, yeah, I I always thought that science and and faith go hand in hand in a lot of ways. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, thank you for, for, for sharing that. I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm really, uh, inspired by talking about that and digging into spirituality a little bit, because I think that there's a, there's also a peace and a joy in in the unexplained, you Mm -hmm. know, and letting God be God and, Mm -hmm. um, and us just to, to, yeah, you know, to seek that through Jesus as well.
1: Yeah, there can be. I think, I think at the same time, like for us post enlightenment with scientific reasoning, more information at our fingertips than we've ever had. Mystery becomes like an enemy. Like, we do not like having answers, which is why we use Google to absorb an amount during the day, right? Like, if I have a question about something, go to the almighty Google, right? <laughs> like, And I, I'm like, not I'm mad at that. It's great. The amount of things I get to do and figure out on the fly because of Google, beautiful. Sure. Um, but how much then do we experience life as a way of having answers? And then what do we do when we don't have answers? Yeah. What do we do when there's mystery and suffering and loss and grief? Um, what do we do when the things that we were planning towards and working towards fall apart out of our control? Um, can we actually then say, well, maybe having all the information, maybe having all the scientific reasoning still doesn't make sense of everything. Um, man, it helps. And it's so good. I'm so thankful for all of it. But like, can we, when things happen, cause we, we like the mystery when it's good, we really struggle when it's hard and it's not for us. And, Um, it hasn't, there's not a blessing for us in it. Right. Can we still sit there and say, man, I still don't understand everything. There's a mystery to this that I'm being invited into. I do not know. Um, but there's something that's transcendent. I mean, Jesus literally said like in this earth, in this life, you will have trouble. Some of like his last words, you're gonna have trouble, but don't fear for I have overcome this world. Like I, I have over, I've conquered it. I've overcome it. There's more, for you in the future on the other end. But hey, in the meantime, man, it's going to suck. Like, it's not going to be great. It's going to be some very hard things, but I've overcome it. So, whatever you want to do with that, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Anyways, it's good. that's good stuff right there. It's better. Have you heard, uh, have you come across uh, anybody that's talked about Jesus AI? Um, uh, yeah. No, but I would love <laughs> to. I mean, it's essentially, you know, the almighty Google in, in the form of Jesus. So you basically like chat GPT, you ask a question, but this will be um, a representation of what Jesus would have said.
1: This is awesome. it's, it's like it's, the new, like the AI version of like the WWJD bracelet. Exactly. Yeah.
0: It's a <laughs> compilation of the words and, uh, you know, teachings that Jesus had and how would Jesus then using the algorithm, uh, algorithm to provide some insight. <laughs>
1: That's so good. Was this out or it's, like? Yeah, it's a real thing. No yeah. way. Oh, okay. I'll we'll mess with that later. That sounds like a good blast.
0: <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't have the specific links, but yeah, you can, I'm sure you can Google that and find great. some some uh, some some here some entertaining, some more content like... for Sunday. Yeah, exactly. There you, yeah. <laughs> there, you <go>. yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I mean, just ask Jesus for That's this it. sermon. What would, what would you have me
1: say? What would this? you What would you say here? <laughs>
0: yeah. Um. Okay. I want to I want to shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about your so your your you're a pastor now but before that you were working in in, in the business realm mm-hmm. even before that you were mm-hmm. um i'm going to i'm going to fluff you up a little bit you were a professional athlete
1: yeah short lived uneventful <laughs> yeah <laughs> But nonetheless, you can yeah. you can say you can hang I your can, hat on that on that fact. You know, right. signed a professional contract and received uh, what you could call a paycheck. There you go. Yeah. If, yeah. It, if it has, yeah, if you, if you were paid by a sports organization <laughs> yeah. and you were a professional, how many zeros it did or didn't have? Uh, it was still a paycheck. Irrelevant. Yeah. Irrelevant. <laughs> irrelevant. <laughs>
0: um, I want to talk about that. I mean, you, you grew up playing uh, playing soccer, yeah. and how, how did that, that pathway lead you into uh, to athletics?
1: Yeah, Um, pretty much always soccer. I dabbled with, uh, let's see, yeah, didn't make the A team in baseball fourth through six, so I gave up on baseball. I got cut seventh grade tryout, so I stopped that. Uh, played football in elementary, and then again freshman year, hated football practice. Like it was just the worst. Um, for some reason, I don't know. I look back, and I was like, man, I wish I would have played it more. Anyways. Um, And then yeah, soccer was the one. Playing in like elementary school, I remember our goalkeeper like dove and broke his collarbone, and then I got thrown in, and then just stayed for like ever. Um, And then every year, other kids got faster and better with their feet, while I didn't, and I just stayed like the fifth grade version of myself, um, just bigger and still like you know not as fast and not as technical. So I just at some point was like, well, I can't change positions now. I'm I'm a goalkeeper.
0: But that but Um, that wingspan helped, you know. Yeah,
1: that that panned out. Yeah, not knowing how how yeah size or anything. Um, yeah. And then, yeah. So here in town, uh, did the club teams and in high school and then, uh, UC Santa Barbara was the, my freshman year of college. So got recruited there as a redshirt freshman, um, made a lot of great life decisions uh, that ended up me not being there anymore. <laughs> they were so good. Um, and finished uh, the next four years at, at Sacramento State. During that time, did, uh, the, it was the PDL at that time, Freshman Development League, Fresno Fuego here in town. I would come home and play with them for summers. And through just a number of those connections, I thought I was done after college. I'd had a couple professional tryouts um, none of them got called back so I just made this decision like I think I'm going to become a weightlifter and I want to be able to fill out like a double XL t-shirt at some point and so just started like putting on weight and getting big and then I get a call. Uh, like three months into this. Like I haven't, like I've barely ran. It's bad. And I go out to South South Carolina for a week um, to a team out there at Charleston Battery and uh, do a trial with them. And then the way it worked out is essentially they had a a goalkeeper in the MLS in Salt Lake that was a third string there that they wanted to loan. So they made a deal with Salt Lake for me to go to Salt Lake and be like a third string training keeper for a year. Um, So I was in Salt Lake for a year, um, non-rostered training paid by Charleston And then uh, spent a year there. And then that the next year was with the uh, second division team in Rochester, New York, Um, was a second string there. And then uh, towards the end of of the season, I'd played a few games and then tore my right labrum, um, which is a, Like you don't repair it. It just kind of either heals or it doesn't kind of a thing, but you don't do surgery and, or you just, you play through the pain, do cortisone shots. So I was like, well, if I go home and I try to rehab this thing for a year, I'll probably never play again. Um, And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go home, rest it a little bit during the off season, do cortisone shots the next season. So I go home, get, Married in the off season. So Caitlin and I get married. We're living at my parents like converted garage bags still packed. We're about to go to Hawaii for our anniversary. I'm in contract negotiations with two different teams. We come back still unsure. Uh, I go out to city college to go train with a group of guys again during the off season. uh, 12 minutes into training, I dive and I tear my left one. (laughs) So it was like. All right, we're we're now in Fresno, which we didn't plan to be. You know, we were supposed to be in New York or Minnesota. Like, we're gonna go on an adventure, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then my next step was I I wanted to do. Um device sales, medical device sales. And all of them, I would interview with them and they would say, you need business to business experience. So then I went and worked for a payroll and HR company, did that for two years, found some success, went into management. Uh, And then all of that was kind of colliding with the church planning team at the same time. Um, Yeah. So that was my short lived, uh, uneventful, uh, professional career. Do you, um,
0: so two questions for you the first one is um what was your favorite mascot out of all the the teams you played for you cannon bears. Yeah. Uh, SAC
1: Hornets. Uh, uh, SAC was Hornets. And then UCSB was the Gauchos. Gauchos. So, so there was one cool thing. Uh, UC Santa Barbara didn't have a football team. Okay. Um, so, soccer, and they were, you know, the year I was there, uh, they lost in the final the year before. The year I was there, they were ranked number two, uh, lost in playoffs the year after they won the national championship. So, great program, great coach, um, great players. And uh, they had a massive, I mean, there were 12,000 kids at a game. Um, so, it, it was, it was, it was, you know, a good following um, 2001. So I'm born on nine 11. Um, and I remember waking up that morning, it's my birthday. My mom's like crying on the couch because of the the news of the towers and, um, it's tragic all around. And then, yeah, on the birthday, all that things happening. And while that's happening and war starts to have all these different things, I have an Iranian coach. So, I'm like being told to like run sprints and do put push-ups, and he'd always joke, he'd tell us to eat the grass and just different things from an Iranian coach. And one of the things I was so thankful for of soccer throughout the years is, um, I mean, the diversity. So mm-hmm. experiencing different people's lives, um, they were different than mine. We had players that could pl- pay to be on a team, and we had players who couldn't, and others so like just a very diverse group of people every year that were that I'm learning to like not only live life with, but like compete with. So then you become like brothers and like there's like a family that bond that's happening. Um, So anyways, I don't know where I'm going with that. Just in the sense of like what athletics, specifically soccer in my context provided, context provided um, of just to experience different people's lives. And again, just not my own. It was great.
0: You segued into the, the second question that I was going to ask is, is what sort of lessons that, y- that you learned throughout your career, um, your sports career, mm. have you carried on into or what, you know, sort of values in that? I mean, there, there's a lot of coaching. There's a lot of like, you know, yeah. those kind of uh, values that kind of can be can be easily like pointed out. But is there anything yeah. specific for you?
1: Yeah. So so that being one, um, I think to. Yeah, actually, I was talking to someone about this the other day. Uh, they had asked the question of like, have you ever been a part of something that just seemed to go really well and found success together? And I go back to there was some stuff that pointed in, in my, um, when I was in business and sales. Uh, but then I just thought about the teams. And one thing was clear every year was the championship. Like you knew what you were there for. And there was a lot of clarity around why we were there. So we had a great sense of why. Um, and that's something I've been wrestling with lately in a little bit more of like an undefined, um, role and starting something new. And, uh, it can be a little bit ambiguous, but I, I know that the more clarity I have on my why of, why I'm here, why I'm doing what I'm doing, why I wake up to do this, why I spend time doing this, why I sacrifice for this. um, It actually makes it attainable and and achievable. And without a why, then I think I just tend to wander. Um, So through sports over and over again, the why was clear um, every year. And that there's just, you can't do things alone. Um, I love individual sports also. Uh, I love one-on-one competition. But I think team sports, uh, just teach you that you just cannot do things alone. And then two discomfort actually grows us, Mm. um, conditioning, having to like vomit and keep running. Like where else do you get challenged like this where you're doing double days, you have to take ice baths, you're giving up so many things that you want for that. Why? everything has a consequence to it how you sleep how you eat how you train and there's just something that it creates like a resilience in you with other people along the way and so I think collaboration matters much uh, most things yeah I mean that's that's um,
0: that's something that I've been hearing a lot of lately I mean I listen to I consume podcasts like 24/7. Um, it's all job training, you know, what, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you do. Um, but, but, you know, for, for a, a thematic thing that has been mentioned is, you know, the, the trend of like people taking, um, you know, the cold, cold plunge and things like that, mm. they're intentionally. So historically, you know, um, mankind has always like done these things as a necessity. Like we hunted because we needed to eat. We, we traveled because we needed, um, you know, shelter. Mm-hmm. And now we're like, uh, simulating all these kind of things that we Mm. need to do now. Like, you know, we, we are, uh, we, we work out like, whereas before, like you, everything you did, you toiled and you labored, um, that was your workout. You know, you, you worked in the fields to do that kind of stuff and you burned calories as a result as well. Now we're simulating that on a treadmill and, um, in a, in a cold plunge. Um, we're making ourselves purposefully uncomfortable
1: Yeah,
0: and, um, yeah, and it's an interesting take about like how we have to go out and, and seek that out. Yeah. Whereas, you know, like yeah, like it's a really great representation of like the hardships um to uh to to strive for a result that you're hoping for.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Have you uh heard of the book called Comfort? No. I can't remember the author's name. I'm reading it right now, probably three quarters of the way through. Um, And he he does it through some narrative of personal experience, but then every chapter has a different emphasis and the scientific research um, along with – process food, um, along with, uh, why we actually should seek out challenging things that stretch us beyond our comfort zone. Um, why living in temperature controlled houses with ergonomic chairs is, is, is like not helping us in some ways. And, um, some of the ways in which we've experienced life for so long. And now all of a sudden we're in this like weird experience where we just can control everything for the sake of comfort and how it's actually not helping us long-term. And some of the, you know, the anxiety stuff that we experience, and the unhealth that we experience and um, even the separation of like self and, and relationships that we're experiencing. There's so many things that are attached to it. It's a fascinating book yeah. um, that I, yeah, you should check out.
0: Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. Even, even the small things like, you know, um uh, like as as little as like you know it, there's there's a sense of pride in like just washing your own car you know instead of going through the automatic wash uh, car wash and things like that where you have a um, a more sense of accomplishment and yeah. all these things like I always say that um, because uh, because of the nature of my work you know I'm at a computer all day and I take such um, I'm almost like comfort and and de stress in going out and doing something manual mm. um, doing the the yard or, or cutting the grass or something like that and yeah. um, it's almost like the simulated way that i'm i'm coming through and you know whereas you know for for some it's like it's an uh it's not a luxury you know they have to do that or that's their their job you know they're they they own a landscaping company or something like that too so yeah i think that um getting to a place where we push ourselves to maybe do something uncomfortable mm-hmm.
1: um is actually there's comfort yeah, in that totally. ironically dude one of the ones i learned recently that i'm i'm learning to take on this kind of goes back to maybe you know the weakness thing and the thing is some of the ways in which I've been formed for success and achievement and producing and, and, uh, doing for the sake of value and worth is this idea. I'm not the most creative person, but where in in some of the research, uh, in this book would show that, uh, boredom does not make someone more creative. So the more, you know, if you can find spaces of boredom, you know, you're, you know, more creative and you're whatever it just produces creativity because you're actually in a space where you're pulled away enough. Uh, right now, we don't have, think about how much boredom people used to live with. Yeah. What do we do when we're bored right now? We pull out our phone. We, we call someone, we screen something, we scroll something, we, and we're actually never getting to places of boredom that tends to produce and foster creativity. Problem solving. I mean, you just go through it. We're numbing ourselves when we actually need to be seeking out boredom and the things that it can produce. That was a really fascinating one that I'm like, oh, I do better when I actually have a couple spaces where I'm allowed to get to boredom during the week or throughout the month.
0: Yeah. I mean, I remember car rides. You'd never had a, uh, you know, you never had a tablet or anything, you know, going into yeah. car rides or whatever as a kid. And I mean, this is a whole. We can we can do a whole topic of this, a whole, a whole additional podcast about like the state of um, child childhood today. You yeah. know, like the the it's really easy to prop your kid in front of a, front of a screen and get some yeah. you know time or whatever too. But like, yeah, we're kind of robbing that that opportunity. You know, yeah. and so I see it in, in Silas, my oldest, um, to to like you know when he when we take that away, when we, when we turn off the movie is when he gets more imaginative and all these mm. other things too. And so yep. there's such value in,
1: in being bored to be quite honest. What was uh what was the go to car ride game when you were growing up?
0: Um, so I, I more often than not, I, we always fought for like the, at least the window seat, you know, okay. to, to be in a spot. Um, but I used to love to um, imagine that, did you ever do that little guy running on the side of the window? Like you, you pretend like your, your fingers oh, no. are no, little a little guy that's one. running through the, uh, <laughs> <I like it. laughs> whatever the field, trying to keep up with you. Right, oh, yeah. he's actually running out. Yeah. And... <laughs> so, you know, you, he, he's jumping over the, the trees and things that, that, um, that's that you pass excellent. by. So that was always a thing <laughs> yeah. is to to imagine that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I spy was always a, you know, you a go to classic too. So. Yeah.
1: To go to the alpha, the alphabet one. did You ever play that one? Oh yeah. Had, so like, look through it in the alpha in like license plates or something. You got to build your way up. Through yeah. The alphabet. We we Signs. did that, and
0: then we also did um, one where we would do a theme, and we have to come up with uh, a word that represents that. So um, Ooh, so go. like if you were say like, all right, let's do um, cities in the U.S. Kay. A. Albuquerque. B. You know, so you uh, have to like sequentially go. like come up with a new thing. Nice. I actually really like to do that stuff now. You Still, know? yeah. Um I I uh one of the things that I that I always always will do uh, my go-to um uh what's it called uh road trip game that I like to do now is a celebrity net worth game. Have you ever played it? No. So, so basically you take two people of the same kind of like um uh ilk or category. Okay. Um so I mean I wish I had my my uh, computer in front of me right now but like you would say like you know who do you think is worth more uh Ronaldo or Messi? Okay, and you would take like your assumption is like, well, oh, I think you know, uh, Messi's worth more because he's more successful in titles or whatever, whatever it is like that. And so you then you assume like, what's the net worth? You know, oh, yeah. forty million, you know, or something like that. Totally, he's probably worth a lot more. Probably but more. I think does. Ronaldo's worth more. You think so?
1: I I, I remember something recently. If if I'm remembering correctly, I think through other deals, he's worth endorsements. More. Yeah, he's a
0: prettier guy. So yeah, he's he's got yeah the figure.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Unless he's not as much of a looker <laughs> right yeah and he's got <laughs>
0: yeah, Ronald's you know tall and you know yeah dude, all the other stuff too but yeah doing something like that and obviously you have to you have to use google to to confirm there you, you go know. yeah we need
1: we need google for that one yeah yeah um
0: okay so i've got some um i've got some rapid fire easy questions for you okay and then we're going to cap it off with a really difficult one
1: deal all right <laughs> If you do let me know when the difficult one's coming? Yeah, I'll let okay. you know.
0: <laughs> and you can think, you can, you can ponder, you can chew on it as long as you need. Okay. okay. Um, you're at a karaoke bar. What's your go-to karaoke song?
1: Honestly, I don't have one. No, um, no. Uh, I could like make something up right now, okay. but it's just not genuine.
0: Well, that's that's like your pressure. They 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 added your name on the list, and they're like, next up, Ryan Kenny.
1: Yeah. Uh, the one I could probably do the best because I could remember the most lyrics. Somehow we did this in like seventh or eighth grade um, would be All Star uh, by Smashing Pumpkins.
0: Smashing Pumpkins? Smashing, <laughs> Smash Mouth. Smash Mouth. Yeah. There you go.
1: Is there a Smashing Pumpkins? There's
0: a Smashing Pumpkins. Okay, there you the, go. Yeah. Smash the, Mouth. So
1: that would be that. <laughs> I can get through most of that.
0: Okay, nice. I like that. Um, okay, if you are stranded on a desert island yeah. and so there's there's two, two parts of this. Um, you can take with you three books, which, which books would you take? Um, and then you, so it's the assumption that you are there for two years and then you get rescued. Ooh, nice. Um, but you have a a magical vending machine also that dispenses a meal for you. It doesn't have to be one particular food, but it can be a meal. What's that? So two part question first, First three, the three, three books you'd books. like to, to read over the span of two years.
1: Okay. Um, I enjoy the scriptures. Um, I think one of the books I, I, I try to, to read a Dallas Willard book every year. Um, so we can go with The Hearing God. Um, and then I actually just read my first non or my first fiction book in, I can't remember the last time I read a fiction book. Uh, I I wouldn't choose this one again, um, but it was Pet Cemetery by Stephen King. No way. So because I just read that, I would just have to go with another Stephen King book. (laughs) Okay. Um, And then The Meal uh, would probably be, oh man. I probably have to go like the carne sada tacos from El Premio Mayor. Okay. Yeah. All right. Shout out. That's Shout it. out to the
0: to the local spot yeah. there. Maybe
1: actually the, 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 the Sada Brito. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well yeah. You, you, anyway you're going with the Asada, you know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I hear that I've never read the book, but I've seen the movie and um I think there was an old series too, but the um the Stephen King book,
1: um It. Oh yeah. So that, oh there you go.
0: That's probably one of his like best written
1: books, is yeah. what I hear. Okay. Well, then that um, might be be next in the queue.
0: Yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't um, advocate for it. But I, I you know, I, I hear that. Oh, man. Um Pet Cemetery is so historically that is the I saw it as a, at a as a kid. Oh, you watched that film? Had I to saw be the a, film. It, had to it be was t- super scar. It was trump- traumatic. I bet. for sure.
1: Yeah. It probably had to be terrible too. Like, yeah.
0: Like not like. I don't know if it holds up, like you know, in, in production value or what, whatnot. But yeah. like, yeah. Did I, you ever I, read it? No, I didn't read it. Oh, okay. But I I remember huh. vividly. I can still picture it. The scene where um where the the grandpa is walking up the stairs and they slice the back of his like uh his his ankle. Yeah, not great. No, no. That's <laughs> how old are you? a kid maybe maybe less than yeah, 10
1: interesting <laughs> yeah i just i probably shouldn't have my girls watch that <laughs> yeah, yeah don't don't I, I would i would
0: not write well, there's off. a there's a newer like version of it that's yeah. like less 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 uh, graphic I, I would hear but um uh, yeah that's a good one i would say um one of the the books that i that i um you know um will always frequent or just like think about um is the alchemist have you ever read that book Paula Coelho. Nope. Highly recommend it. Yeah. It's a, it's a, why it's a nonfiction book, but there's just so many, I'm sure like if you read it, you will likely um, hear so many quotable quotes. Mm. So like people have used that. I'm sure it's probably the most referred to book in Ted talks Mm. because it's just like very, uh, it's a story of a, um, I I won't spoil it for you, but it's a story of a, a shepherd boy that, goes on a journey um, through alchemy and encounters some, some people along the way and learn some great lessons. Great. So, yeah, I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I think, originally written in, um, in Basque. Uh, okay. But, yeah, it's uh,
1: been translated into a bunch of different languages too. The alchemist. Okay. Well, that might just, I may not have to wait to be on an island to read it.
0: As a matter of fact, I have on my wall there, posted a posted quote from the book. It says, uh, remember wherever your heart is, there you will find your treasure.
1: Ah. Oh, that is him. Oh okay. Well that would be a popular one that yeah. Yeah. There you go.
0: It's a it's a good book. I highly recommend it. Love it. Okay. Now I've asked you the easy questions. Here's the most difficult question now here. It's it's not ironically difficult. It's probably a very difficult question too, so I don't (laughs) I it's it's lighthearted, but um It's probably the most difficult question that I've found uh, from being a Christian to answer. And to be quite honest, I don't know how to answer it in in a good enough way, I would say. But um, what would you say to people that have that assumption that like um, the the, the statement has been said before where they say, why would an all loving God allow bad things to happen? Why would Mm. a good God allow bad things to happen to good people?
1: Yeah. Have you ever encountered that? Yeah, and I think there's probably a number of ways in which it it can be um, answered, and one of the ones that might might peak um, help us ask a question would be imagine imagine someone doing something really bad. Like, what's the worst thing that somebody could do that you care about, and just imagine that would you want them to be punished? Hmm. Like, would you want there to be justice for someone who does like the greatest atrocity that you could ever imagine? And so therefore you're like, well, I hope, I hope God like is like, has like vengeful. (laughs) I hope there's some wrath attached to that. Now I'm not, I'm not trying to show my hand by any means of, of what that looks like. But I think if we go back to like the mystery conversation earlier, um, that it's so much, life is so much more than we understand, thankfully. Um, that's really hard to wrap our minds around. Uh, I also, I, I don't think we can ascribe everything to God. Um, I think there's, again, going back to some of that spiritual conversation, like there is an evil reality, uh, all the time at the same time. Um, that's very hard to hold intention. So when, we, uh, when, you know, we might say something like, oh, God took them too soon, Did God take them. Is that, is this the way that God intended it? Or is this what evil looks like? Is this what it looks like to not be in, um, Eden in, in the way in which God created it in the way in which he will recreate it? Um, and is currently recreating it. So I, I think there's just a few questions in that that I don't have my like formulated answer. But those are the thoughts that come to mind.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a very difficult question, I think, to because cause everybody wants a black and white explanation. Totally. You know, and yeah. and it's it's unfortunately there's there's kind of none. You know. Yeah. Um, aside from actually digging in and maybe asking additional questions and things like that as well.
1: Yeah. I, uh, um, yeah, it's hard. It's a hard one. Yeah.
0: Honestly, selfishly. I just, I, I asked that because, you know, I I've never blatantly been asked that, but I I've always felt ill prepared to be able to answer that to, to someone that's answering that question too. And,
1: and I would say, I don't think that's, I mean, that's nothing that God is not. I mean, again, going back to what brought up earlier, Jesus says like in this world, you will have trouble, hmm. but again, I've overcome it. Therefore you can have peace. Like that's just, it's, it's, it's mind blowing. It's yeah. it's hard for us to, if sometimes not impossible to wrap our minds around that. But in other words, like, Hey, there's like present evil and there's atrocities that are going to happen. And so I don't think, you know, through Jesus, I don't think God's saying, Hey, I'm bad also. Um, but I don't know if everything bad is a scribe. Yeah. And it's just, yeah.
0: Yeah. With the belief in, in a, in a good, um, has to be, uh, has to also exist a, a, a bad as well, you know, and, it's a backdrop, and, and um, because it's it's the antithesis of, of what we um, yeah. what we see, you know, yeah. and and so yeah. that that being said, like there, um, it that's the you know the the we with free will and all the other things that we have to um, to be able to like make consciousness. like I can literally like I can decide that I just want to throw this glass right now, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's, it's a beautiful thing that I have the choice to be able to do that, you Mm -hmm. know, but then I also have to make the choice to clean it up afterwards,
1: you know, or consequences of everything. Exactly. Yeah. Good consequences too. Yeah. Yeah. It's consequences of everything. And then it's, well, is, is that the definition of God or does that point to God? Mm. So why do you know, bad things happen? What was the question
0: again? (laughs) Yeah. Why do bad things happen to good people?
1: Was that it? Or was there a, if how could bad things happen if God is good? Yeah. Right. Okay. And I I guess that usually works out that way. Right. Why did this happen? That person was good. Um, Well, it also, we also ask question is, is our life is the, the measurement um, on our own merit that goodness earns us something Mm. or is it only on the goodness of God that we can actually recognize that we have life, that we have breath in our lungs and, and we can recognize the shortness of, the life we have, but also the brokenness of the life. So yeah, I think it just, it actually runs, I think, deeper into more questions, which is Mm -hmm. good. um, Because then we don't just ask, does this define who God is? Or does this point to a God? Because something's off when bad things happen. It's actually not the way it was meant to be. So now I say, all right, God, if you're all that's good, help me see more of you. And help me be changed by you so that in the backdrop of the evil, of the hard, of the bad, of the, of all those things that we experience, like I can be a part of the agency that I have to work things with you for good. Um, Yeah. So I think there's more questions come up.
0: Yeah. I mean, I always, I also wonder if, if it's God's hand in the, um, in, in, in a lot of the ways that we are able to, um, to move past something, you know, like, um someone that's an addict that goes through recovery. Mm. Is is there a hand of God that's that's in that that we overlook? And, you know, someone that's in grief, you know, like something bad can happen to that. But if if one always stays sad forever, mm. um, then then it's 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 hard to explain that. But eventually like someone that goes through a level of grief and overcomes that, there's a that's to say that there is a good that it ultimately becomes of that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and whether or not you forget it, you know, mm-hmm. yep. you, you being a prime person that is born on nine you'll mm-hmm. never forget a tragedy that occurred War. in that same yeah. day, you know. But, um, yeah. you know, having, having overcome something like that too, there's, that's a kind of a representation of good. I'm sure it's yeah. like philosophical in nature. That's beyond my wisdom, um, uh, oh.
1: Well, and again, this goes back to man, like, can we stretch outside of the way in which we experience life? Like, so for me as a white male who I think has had a lot of opportunity in my life, um, in certain ways that, that others, um, who aren't white and who aren't male don't have, um, currently in our, in our context, uh, there's an aspect about this that like, this is where we learn from the black church. Hmm. This is where we learn from the Latino church. This is where we learn from the Chinese. Like this is where we learn from the churches of color um, of what it looks like to hope for something beyond the current reality. Cause the current reality is not good. And this goes back to that conversation of like materialism and consumerism is, is everything that's real now, or is there something that's more real beyond this? And for most people through most of life, still currently in most of the world, they pray to God every day that there's something beyond this suffering, beyond this life, beyond today. And so depending on where we sit, depending on the church that we sit in, depending on the corner that's in, depending on the makeup of the people, um, we can long for that or we're just kind of comfortable. And we don't need to hope for something beyond. So now when something bad happens, it's the ultimate reality rather than pointing to the ultimate reality. Um, I just picked up a book on the uh, letters written, uh, the Chinese church, and I just started it. But like, that's a whole different perspective of what it means to be a church and to be a Christian and to follow the ways of Jesus. Um, And so I think even in that, you know, is God good and why do bad things happen? Man, that's a question mostly, I think, of today's age in the West. Most people, uh, I don't think, can fathom of it (laughs) because of their current reality. And it's not good. So, man, may there be something good beyond this thought.
0: Yeah. That's an excellent... um Note to I think wrap things up
1: on um, Ryan, nice, you, nice light nice light thought
0: <laughs> yeah I mean I, it's it's a challenge you know and I'm, I'm hoping that that I always I always want to to have thought provoking conversations um, selfishly the. I've, I've always said that the uh, the podcast is for me
1: did you get into this selfishly is that what I'm hearing yeah
0: yeah for <laughs> sure I, I I asked you the question because I was hoping to get the the solidified answer and oh, like <laughs> yeah. is it okay that I'm selfish yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> I want a so justification good. for my actions <laughs> um, but Ryan thank you thank you you've been really generous with your time and, and just you know thank you for letting us uh, pick your brain um, oh, man. is there anything um, that you want to promote to talk about or anything that to,
1: to, to plug. Um, dude, actually, you know what? Uh, now that you say that I hadn't had this thought. I'm not much, I don't promote well, um, whether I'm supposed to, or not, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but, but a, a, a key part of, I think what we're up to at Midtown as a church, uh, is this integrated life of, of following Jesus, the St. Ignatius and, um, uh, the, the order that he started, um, they, one of their key tenants would say that God is in all things. And I think for us as a church trying to hold the center on so many things, uh, we also see much of God in our own humanity. And so how do we become more aware of our humanity so that we can see more of God? So we do this thing called emotionally focused and um, it begins a a discipleship journey in many ways, but it actually helps us go backwards to see certain narratives that we've picked up in our life along the way. We've made meanings from things. We've had experiences, good and also tragic. Um, How are those things still showing up today when maybe at one point the narratives we told ourselves and we needed to survive to get through but they don't work anymore um and you don't need 12 year old ryan who was hurt and scarred by a certain event to be showing up when i'm 36 Is i'm just not going to be a good leader if i'm trying to protect myself all the time And we all have them. We have them in different ways. Uh, But Emotionally Focused, it starts with the two-day intensive. We're doing that April 26th and 27th. Um, So how do we actually become more aware of our humanity, emotions, feelings, those kind of things, in the work of discipleship to Jesus, the practices that help us grow uh, into a more holistic being to experience life to the fullest? Yeah, awesome. So,
0: Where where can people uh, go to find more information? Uh, Midtown.church. Midtown.church. Good starting point. All right, yeah.
1: yeah, this is fun, man. Thanks yeah. for me on.
0: No, thank you for yeah. for stopping by. You know, I That's appreciate great. your your time. <laughs>